real quick. Then we'll have open phone lines for a brief moment. Um, not as strong as episode one. Okay. Wasn't so much the Dan Campbell story this week as it was uh, the city of Detroit and starting to focus on players that may or may not make the roster. It seems like there's, there's been plenty of hard knocks in the past where they zone in on a player and the coaches are talking about how great they are and they're this underdog and they do all these things right and the coaches praise them. And then you get to the last episode and they decide, oh, well, we don't have enough room for you. Rodrigo. Then you have David Blau, the backup quarterback, who apparently is a good husband and his wife is an Olympian. And, uh, you know, they when they started the backstory with him, you figured something bad was going to happen. Then he has to fumble to blow the game. And it's just the last scene is him devastated. Good drama. Good drama. But the best part of the episode was Iman Ra St. Brown's dad, John Brown, former Mr. Universe, who trains his own sons, has trained them since they were young kids, has three of them, two of them play in the NFL, started his own, um, I'll say company, created his own protein powder, used his father-in-law to put on the front, by the way. That wasn't part of last night's episode. That's just something I know about him. But hearing this dude talk and just, throw out a little stray at Kevin Durant out of nowhere about how, you know, he probably didn't do enough calf raises and that's why he gets injured out of nowhere. I was like, wait, wait, is this hard knocks or is this just one of those talking head debate shows? I don't want to spoil the whole thing. For those of you that didn't see it, not as good as episode one, but still very strong. They're making you care about the lions. Maybe even making you believe in the lions a little bit, which is probably a foolish thing to do if we're being real. Go watch it. Still the best season thus far of Hard Knocks in the last six years. Indeed. Indeed. Three three seven two six nine ten seventy seven. Hit us up if you want to get on the show now before we bring in a a number of guests. Good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Hello. Hi. Um... I guess I'm stupid. Um, I heard your show with uh, Jay Walker uh, yesterday, and he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I said, oh, they're stupid. The ones who think that uh, Miles Brennan quit are stupid. Uh, I guess I'm one of the stupid ones. Um, and the reason, you know, I don't think the man's a quitter. I, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, well, but, then you're not stupid. Say that again? Well, then why would you say that Jay called no, you stupid? Because I did say on Lynn's show that he quit. And the reason I say that, because if I'm not mistaken, when some players opted out during the pandemic and they didn't play, I, w- I heard people on the radio station, if I'm not mistaken, Jay Walker said that Jamar Chase quit. So I, I don't, I don't, how did, why would we say that players who opted out during the pandemic quit? It's not like, well, that, that's something, that's something you get, you could ask Jay and get his thoughts on. I mean, I, okay, yeah, I, might I don't, do I don't remember do it. I, he might've, I don't remember it. Certainly I didn't say that, but I also, my point yesterday was it's a case by case basis, right? If, yeah, if I, I agree with that, you know, I, I don't think you can, you can lump everyone into the same thing. Oh, if they leave a football team, they quit, you know, look, look into, okay, what have they done to this point? Uh, what is the situation? You know, does is is 
Has the player already finished? Have they stuck around? Do they have a sick relative? Like let, let, let's let's look at all of the ingredients, you know. And I don't I don't look at Miles Brennan's situation and say, oh, he's a quitter. Um, that's not to say that any player that I don't think that every single player that decides to leave a team isn't a quitter. I think again, case by case basis. Um, the Saints preseason game. I heard you. Um, you made a good point about White, the receiver. Kevin White, yeah. Yeah, being a gunner. Um, I was on my way to New Orleans that night, and I listened to the game on the radio, and I heard Deuce talk about it. He he mentioned that same point. He mentioned how White got down there, but, of course, I think he missed both of the tackles. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I heard when I heard you mention that, I was like, okay. I mean, he's, yeah, got, I think, he's great. got great speed, but, you know, if, if he's going to make the team, it's not going to be because of his ability to catch a football because he lost that ability when he got to the NFL somehow. It's going to be based on what he can do on special teams, and he's getting an opportunity to show it, but you got to make those tackles. And um, that's, again, special teams. This Friday, doing homework, watching Saints-Packers preseason, I'm watching special teams. All right. Um, Peyton Hillis. Yeah, but who's not going to make this team? Some, some, hey, Granderson. Wait. Would Granderson make Peyton, this team? Did you say Peyton Hillis? Oh, Peyton Turner. Yeah, I kind of changed, I changed uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, oh, Peyton what? Hillis. I'm sorry. I was Peyton. like, where are we going with this? Is this an old Madden no, no, I meant Peyton Turner, but I want to get back to, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Granderson. Does Granderson have a good chance to make this team? Yeah, he's on the team. He's on the team. He's not. He's not so you think he's going to make the 53? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, and what line could you see them? I guess you're gonna look at the waiver wire. You think they need to pick up another linebacker? Um, I won't be surprised if they do. I, I think any decent linebacker that they have any kind of film on that they think can help them at all, they should sign. Honestly, I mean John Bostic. That's I mean he was good like you know eight years ago, seven years ago. It's been a while. I mean he's he's kind of you know an older. I'm not gonna say long in the tooth, but his better days are behind him. But I think it tells you that they're 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 scrapping right now at that position. They need help. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, let's take another one. I like it. Phone calls right out the gate this morning. Good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Hello. Hey, dude. I got a question for you. Uh, if I remember correctly, the NFL is gonna rotate what teams go on. Does that mean that eventually the same? The Saints will have to do it. I'm sorry, you you, you broke up. There will rotate what? The, the teams who do hard knocks, isn't it? Isn't it like? You know, um, the teams don't I, I don't know if it's so. So I'm not sure if it changed in the latest CBA. I don't even know if it's. I, I guess it would be a CBA issue technically, but the rule they put in place years ago. Sasha, get me here off the top of my head. I don't remember all the specifics of it, but. There were there were certain criteria that you had to to meet. Um, if you had a if you had been in the playoffs year before, you didn't have to do it. Um, if you had been on the show in the previous ten years, you didn't have to do it. Um, and there were a couple of other ones, and that was only put into place if a team, you know, if they if no team would volunteer. You know, like the Bengals didn't mind it. They they volunteered to go on hard knocks a few times. Um, same thing with the Cowboys. Like, I don't I, I don't think the Lions were forced to do it. I think they were approached and they said, "Yeah, we'll do it." Uh, so they, they they put a few rules in the place because there was a couple of years there where teams they just couldn't get anyone. And Sean Payton, 
You know, there was one yeah. year after 2016 where it was like, actually, you meet this criteria, you know, and he was like, uh, no, uh, bleep no. I don't want this to happen. Um, and now that they have a new head coach, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll happen at some point. I would like it. It'd be fun, man. It'd definitely give us a, a, a different insight into camp. Uh, so hopefully, I, hopefully I, it happens I was, one day. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking with Dennis Allen, there might be an outside shot that in a couple of years they'll do it because I think it just would be fun, like you said, to see the, like, just to see the insides of like the practice facility and watching them practice and seeing them go from place to place and all that cool stuff. Like that one season where Zeke was riding around on bicycles, I just I thought it was hilarious. They were all riding around on their little bicycles and stuff to get from place to place. Just getting to see that these guys, you know, like a lot of people like dehumanize football players. And turn them into like something else in their head. So it was just really cool. To I, see gotta, I got. I got. All right. Up. So I've, I've looked it up for you. Um, I got. I had. I'm glad I looked it up because one of my criteria was wrong. So you can't have a first year head coach. So the three qualifications necessary to be picked, if no one decides they want to do it, non first year head coach, no playoff appearances in the past two seasons, or they haven't been on the show in ten years. So if you meet all three of those and, and yeah, I mean, unless, well, I mean, unless they said we want to, or if the league approached them and yeah. said, will you? And then they would say, sure. You know, so it, it it's a chance. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I, I was just curious on that one. Uh, and one last point before uh, I hang up and listen, I, I know a lot of people, you know, some people will say they don't think miles Brennan quit. Some people will say he did quit. Well, whether he quit or not, I mean, that's his own volition. I think I think just like Jamar Chase made a business decision to protect himself because he knew how valuable he was as a player and he wanted to protect his, you know, his long-term life goals, I don't think he quit. I think he made a very smart decision and he gave LSU the best years of his life previous to the NFL. So I don't think he did anything wrong. I, the only thing that, that, that kind of rubs it the wrong way with Miles Brennan is like, you you went to the portal and came out of the portal, so clearly you at that time you wanted to play football, like you were doing everything you could to go, but you decided to stay because you thought you had the job, and then when you didn't get the job, that's when you decided you no longer were into football. Only thing is, I don't know, behind the scenes, maybe he was thinking about it all this time, and, and maybe his play indicated that he didn't want to play anymore. Who knows? But Who knows? And, time, and, and I, yeah, doubt, exactly. I doubt Brian Kelly said, if you come back, you get to be a starter. I'm, I'm, I doubt that's how yeah, that no, conversation sure. went, you know. Um, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. And that's the thing that, you, like you said, there's layers to it. You really don't know the deeper situation of what's going on. It's just, I don't know. I, I was bummed because I actually really like the guy. I think he's had a lot, a lot of bad luck. And uh, I was rooting for him. But such is life, man. But I hang up and listen. Yes, sir. Appreciate the call. It's a great Scott show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Camp, whether it be training camp, whether it be fall camp for college football. We'll take a two-minute timeout. When we come back, we're talking Rage Cajun football with the head coach of Louisiana, Michael Desimo, right after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, 
Can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. As promised, joining me now, the head coach of Louisiana Region Cajun Football, Coach Michael Desimo, on the line with us, taking some time as uh, he had been very, very busy with fall camp. Kickoff is two weeks from this Saturday. A uh, wrap camp, um, I think the end of this weekend. First off, Coach, good morning. How is How is camp going thus far for you guys? Good morning, Scott. Oh man, it's it's been good. You know, uh, always kind of cramming in a lot, a lot of work in a, a short amount of time. You know, but that's just kind of the nature of it. But uh, it's been really good. Um, a lot of really competitive, uh, you know, competitive days, competitive periods with the guys going back and forth. You know, offense and defense, and you know, um, good on good type of practices. So it's uh, you know that's the best that's the best that you can that you can do to prepare them. So it's been really good. What's the hardest thing to mimic, you know, in in a fall camp compared to the regular season? Because you want to kind of start getting them into a routine, but at the same time, there's a development process before you, you know, do game week preparation. So, what is the coach do you feel is is the most difficult thing that you can't quite get a, a clear picture on? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it really kind of, I don't think it imitates an in season schedule really all that much, you know. Uh, just because there's there's no other distractions, you know, it's it's football, it's only football. There's no school, there's no class, there's no anything else. I mean, um, I mean, we have them up here all day. You know, whenever you start getting in the season, um, it's easy to me right now to keep them focused. Obviously, they get you know physical fatigue is real right now, but the the focus part's a little bit easier just because you have them here all the time. There's not all the other things going on. Um, so it's kind of you almost have your bubble, if you will, you know, right now during fall camp or in the season. You know, I mean, that's when, you know, real life is going on too, right? You know, they've got they've got classes. They've got, I mean, you know, girlfriends, family stuff going on. You know, I mean, there's just always something. So in the season, it's a little harder to, you know, to uh, to get them to zone in sometimes. And you got to try to make sure that, you know, they can walk, on, walk in the building and kind of leave everything else behind. Right now, that's a little bit easier just because this is all they're doing right now. What th- this isn't so much a camp question as a football question, but I'm I'm going somewhere with it. When when somebody uses the term, man, that's just a football guy. What do you? I mean, it's it's very much a cliche. I hear it a lot. What what does that mean to you, man? That guy's just a football guy. Well, you know, I mean, you would think that everybody loves it. Um, you know, I mean, just just the way the sports played. You know, I mean, it's it's a a tough sport physically mentally all those things but not everybody loves it you know the football guys are guys that you know you're never you're never asking for them to be up here you know they're always up here they're doing more they're they're putting in more time than they have to you know they love to practice they're the ones that the preparation part of it's just as fun for them as it is to go out there and play the game um you know and that it's kind of it's rare you know i mean Saturday nights are great, right? You know, the lights are on. Everybody loves that. That's easy. You know, you hear guys all the time talk about how they how they miss football. Most of them, you know, when they're done playing, miss <laughs> miss the game day. You know, practice practice is a whole other deal. And uh, I think the kids that the guys that really love to practice and they love every part of it. That's football guys. Uh, you know, um, and I think that's 
that's that's the ones that when you got a bunch of guys that are really football guys that love it, that love every part of the process, it's not just about the outcomes. Um, you know, you, you got something special for sure. Ideally, as a coach, that's what you want a team full of football guys. And, sure. um, you know, I know that you guys had a scrimmage Saturday and there's still more work to be done before you, you, you finish up camp. But uh, the question you're asked about all the time, and it's obligatory, I got to do it, but the, the, the battle for the starting quarterback job, has anybody taken an edge in here? Is this something that really is just going to go all the way down to the wire for you? I know you said you want to announce it early next week, maybe not publicly, but at least for your team. Is is this a situation that um, maybe is keeping you up a little bit at night, Coach? Um, you know, I mean, it, it's a situation that I know is very important, but, um, you know, I mean, it, it's something that, that it's – you can't run a two-quarterback system. You know, I, I don't believe that you can have a true – that the position's just different. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's something that certainly we've put a lot of thought into. I've certainly kind of, you know, have spent a lot of time kind of, you know, trying to weigh out all the all the pros and cons of each guy for our team and the way they lead. Uh, but ultimately, you let their body of work do the, do the talking. And, um, you know, to me, it's not just about, um, you know, what's happened in the last couple of days. I mean, it's about, you know, it's spring, summer, the leadership aspect of it. There's a whole lot of things that go into it. So, um, you know, by, by the end of this, you know, by the end of this weekend, you know, kind of getting ready for next week, we'll, we'll make that decision, um, you know, for our team and we'll, we'll let everybody know kind of who needs to know. And we'll make sure that, you know, we do it the right way. Cause both of those guys, um, you know, I have a ton of respect for, um, and I truly believe, and I know that both of those guys could play winning football for us. So that's kind of, that's one of the things that makes it hard too. You know, it's a lot easier if, uh, if you said, well, I mean, this guy's just not ready, you know, it's a much easier decision. It's just, you know, right now you're trying to pick between who you think gives you the best chance to win, who you think can, you know, put your team in better position to do it. Um, and that's a good luxury to have for our team. You have direct insight into it because you yourself play quarterback. You were involved in quarterback competitions when you were at UL. And my question is, when when the decision is made, is is the competition over for the starting job, or is it, you? I mean, you want to have a solidified starter, not a two quarterback system, but everyone's always, in some ways, playing for their job. And as you know, by nature of that position, it's not like. You know, D-line where you're rotating guys in and out. So how do you have that balance of, look, you're always competing for your starting job, but this is our starter. I, I hope that question made sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the old, you know, saying people, you know, everything's for sale, right? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, it's your job can always be, can be lost, you know, even just because it's yours doesn't mean that that's the way it stays. Um, and you know, with, with that being said, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you've got to go out there and perform. You know, it's not just about winning the job, right? It's about keeping the job, and it's about proving to your team that it was yours and you deserved it and that you can go out there and you can go play well and go win games for them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's that's always the case, you know. I mean, you know, shoot, I've been – I've been pulled out of games. I've been the backup and been put in the games because the starter didn't play well. I mean, it happens like that sometimes. I mean, you know. You see it multiple times, you know, throughout, you know, throughout football history, right? You know, guy's a starter, plays bad, the backup goes in, loses his job, never comes back. I mean, that's 
you know, those, those things happen. So, you know, I think the, the thing is, is that I feel the quarterback room has a bunch of guys in there that are very talented that I think in the long run, I think this, you're going to see competition year in and year out for who the starting quarterback job is because, you know, it's not just Ben and Chandler, right? You know, man, we've talked about, you know, Lance. We've talked about Zion for sure. You know, Zion McDonald, I think, has been great this fall camp. Um, you know, and Hunter Herring, whenever he, whenever he's healthy, he's shown that he can really, you know, he can he can be a force, you know, too. So um, it's a group that you feel really good about. And like I said, I mean, you know, the guy that, that wins his job will have us in, in a good spot to go out there and go, go compete the way we want to compete this fall. You mentioned the other quarterbacks, and um, I think I asked you at the start of camp, right, that that battle for third on the depth chart is kind of wide open, and I'm sure it still is. I, I just want to focus on maybe some of those guys you just mentioned. Potentially, could they could they get in the field a different way? I know when you play, Coach, you know, your freshman year, um, or it might have been your sophomore year, I don't remember, but you, you conducted the fake punt in that huge road win at Houston. You know, you were playing special teams. You were getting on the field. Is a guy like Lance Lejeune, or, or you mentioned Chris or McDonald, could any of these other guys maybe see the field this year, but not necessarily at quarterback? You know, I mean, possibly. Um, you know, I think Lance is is pro- Lance is the most dynamic athlete in the room. Um, you know, now we've never even had the conversation with him because you know he is a quarterback, and that's really what he wants to play. Um, you know, as this thing kind of shakes out, you know, and if, if there's not a, if there's not a role at quarterback for him, um, then, you know, that conversation will be brought up, you know, but obviously that'd be something he'd have to want to do. You know I mean? Whenever I was playing, I wanted to play other positions. You know, I wanted to play anything I could to get on the field. I did not care what it was. Um, you know, and, and, and you'd have to, you know, certainly he would have to be willing and want to do that. Um, you know, Zion, I would not burn a red shirt on uh, on Zion um, just to have him on the field in some other roles now in the future. I mean, you know, if he doesn't win it next year, right, you know, whenever he's a red shirt freshman, well, then, you know, maybe so. Um, you know, and Zai, I think Zai is a quarterback. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's athletic enough where he could do some of that stuff, but um, he's not as dynamic, you know, as a guy like, like Lance or Zion is um, athletically. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I don't know kind of how that's going to shake out in the end, um, but I would certainly be open to it. I mean, like I said, particularly with a guy like Lance that, you know, he's played a little He's played some college football. You know, he's gotten in some games. You know, he doesn't have a red shirt left, and he's a guy that athletically, you know, he, he's he's a little different, man. He's, you know, he's got some, some serious uh, traits about him that are hard to find. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Head coach Michael Desimo of Louisiana's Raging Cajuns, our guest right now. Um, season is right around the corner. Two weeks from Saturday, they'll kick off a Cajun field against Southeastern. They'll wrap up camp at the end of this week and then start game preparations. And, you know, um, when it comes to depth charts, coach, I know um, a lot of us focus, you know, in the media might focus on who's listed as a starter, but I know coaches like to use the or. OR on the depth chart, right? A lot of times it's not necessarily a, a single guy. And when I've looked at the the running back depth chart at UL over the last several years, there's been ORs. And it made sense, right? You had some some great players, some guys that are on NFL rosters right now as you and I speak. And it seems from the outside looking in that Chris Smith is atop the depth chart. 
behind him mm-hmm. right now? Is it is it or or is there a guy that's that's really standing out to you in camp and maybe solidifying themselves as potentially potentially number two here? Um, no, I, I would say it's or behind him, Chris. Um, you know, I mean, <clears throat> we've talked about about those guys. You know, I mean, and really, they've kind of done you know what's expected. They've really kind of you know they've it's been exciting to watch because they've competed really well. Um, you know, Kabodi, I think has Kabodi has really stepped up and really done a, a really good job. Um, you know, he's the guy that's probably come the furthest, you know, from where he was to where he is now. Um, Terrence Williams, I think, has been the most consistent. And you've seen – I've seen just a lot of growth in him and his confidence and the way he's running the ball and the way he's pressing and making his cuts. And, um, you know, he's been the most consistent probably the entire fall camp. And then, you know, Draylon Washington, I think, has got just tremendous potential um, – you know, just the build that he has, the the long speed that he's got, you know, I mean, the burst, um, he's come on a lot more, you know, he's come on stronger recently. So it took him, he started a little bit slower than the other two guys, but he's, uh, he, he's kind of hit the corner here a little bit and he's, he's done a really good job for us at the back into camp. Have you guys been healthy for the most part in camp coach? Have there been any unfortunate setbacks? It's just, I guess life in football is something you always got to deal with. Um, you know, yeah, we've got a, you know, I mean, you got a few, right? Like you've got, you know, like Peter LeBlanc and Trey Amos, Casey Osai, um, you know, those guys have, I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing that's, that's season ending or, you know, it's just, it's the nagging. It's just kind of the, the frustrating injuries that a hamstring or a groin or a quad or whatever the case may be. That's, you know, you know, how long are you out? You know, is it, you know, is it day to day? Is it a week? Is it two? You know, is it three sometimes, you know, when they're bad? So we've had a few of those. I mean, we've been very, very fortunate. Um, you know, nothing significant, um, as far as season ending. Um, so, you know, we, and we're, you still managing some guys that, that are coming, that, that are coming out of spring ball, right. That had surgeries or that, you know, that are coming back that, you know, they're cleared, right, you know, quote, unquote, and they're, they're supposed to be full go. But, I mean, the reality of it is, you know, it, you're, it takes sometimes it takes just a little while to really get back to where you want to be. So you're trying to manage rep counts with some guys like, you know, guy like Rubio, David Hudson, right, they got some, some miles on the tires. You, you're trying to manage their rep count a little bit. You know, we've talked about Zion quite a bit in, in that role and something that we have done and certainly will continue to manage. So, um you know, nothing really serious, you know, knock on wood, but, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, certainly like everybody else, you know, you got some guys that are in and out, you know, every day. It's just kind of the nature of it a little bit. Yep. No doubt about it. Um, Zion Hill green, you know, you've talked about Zion a lot and in the past, maybe he was overused because as good as he is, you know, there was some reps in there and he's playing through it. And so that's something you've, you've noted a number of times you guys, want to keep an eye on this year um in terms of challenges as a coach and i know you have depth on the d-line coach but zion's a special player where how, how challenging is it to have a guy that's that talented and and really not just say all right we got it you know we gotta gotta take it easy you know we can't we can't play him every single snap but actually follow through with it i mean if it's a, if it's a tough part in the game you want him out there where does that one rank in terms of, of challenges as a head coach to 
intentionally limit a player for good reason, right? But intentionally limit a really good player in terms of their reps and their snaps on game day. Well, you have to start with the ending in mind. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's always uh, it's always challenging to do that, right? Because, you know, you want to have the best guys out there all the time. But, you know, the thing that you got to constantly tell yourself is, I mean, are we better having him for the duration of the year with even half as many snaps as we would be for having him, you know, just for half of the year where he's playing, you know, double the snaps? Well, you take him the long run the whole way through because he is a significant game. I mean, he's a game changer, right? And he's a significant player that impacts the game when he's in there. Well, we've got good young players that they need to play too. So you stunt, you do two things. You stunt their development through the first half of the year when you don't play them. And then the second thing is that when your guy, is, let's say it, it happens, right? You over, you know, he plays too many snaps, whatever the case is, he gets hurt. Sometimes that's just the nature of it. It's not necessarily anyone's fault. But the guy that you haven't played all year that you refuse to play because you just wanted to have the comfort level of having, you know, a guy like Zion in there, they're not ready. So, you know, it, it's a twofold problem. It's really magnified because, you know, you lose the guy that you've invested all these reps in. You lose the guy that you, you know, really kind of counted on throughout this whole thing. And then you don't have anybody ready to fill a spot because you didn't allow them to develop. So, um, you know, we've done this on offense for years, you know, where we we played, you know, maybe eight O linemen, right? That you say, Why the heck would you take, you know, Robert Hunt out of the game? Well, because it's for, you know, Ken Marks to be able to play, right? That needs to play, that ends up being a great a really good player for us as well. So, um, it's part of it, you know, and I think for us our philosophy, I mean, is just that, you know, we're better off playing some of these young guys and developing them and growing them and playing Zion in spots and managing his reps throughout the game where that way, you know what, Scott, I mean, you're right. If you get in the fourth quarter and it's like, well, you know, well, this isn't really Zion series. Well, guess what? If we manage him properly throughout the whole game, you don't feel bad about him taking an extra five to six snaps because that doesn't put him at 80 to 85. It puts him at maybe, you know, 40 to 45, you know, and I think that's something that, uh, you just you just got to start with the end in mind. You got to you got to have a plan. You got to stick to it. Not be a prisoner of the moment, and I guess that's easier said than done. I guess it's not as difficult, say, in practice. But man, on game day, you know it's 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 got to be tough at times. But to your point, you're there in the fourth quarter. If you've done it right, okay, now we can leave them in there. Um, I want to I want to ask you about another defensive guy before we let you go, Coach. I I think Andre Jones. I'm I feel like he's going to have a big season. Uh, and talking to him, um, just watching him over the years, I've seen a guy that's put in a lot of time. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, obviously you want a player that when they come in as a freshman, you know, I, he played a, he played his freshman year. I think he played nine or ten games as a reserve. But you, you want to see yeah. a guy that, okay, they're playing early, but, you know, they're they're young, right? They're, they're, they're a teenager. By the time they get to that senior year, really have have put it all together. And I know he was he was third team all Sunbelt last year, but he feels to me like a guy that I, I could be wrong here, that's ready to just take a major step his senior year. Where how far you've been there the whole time, Coach Desimo. Wh- where is Andre now compared to when he stepped foot on campus in twenty seventeen? And what's been the biggest key to that that growth? 
God, he, he's not even the same guy um, that he was when he got here as a freshman. He and I talk about it a lot. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that he learned, you know, obviously it's easy to say maturity, which everyone, you know, should mature over time, and he certainly has. But, you know, I think he, he's learned some humility um, from the time he got here. You know, uh, when he got here, you know, he, he did be the first to tell you, he was always a little bit loud. You know, he was always kind of telling you about how good he was and what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. And, um, you know, that's kind of how he came into it. And, you know, we had a lot of people that, you know, whether it be position coaches, leaders in his group that, you know, really helped him. And, you know, his father is a great example to him. Um, you know, he kind of figured out throughout time, like, hey, man, if I just if I just do the work, I don't have to say a word. If I just show up and I just work every day, um, the results are going to speak for the going to speak for me. I don't have to say a word. And you know, Andre is one of those guys. You saw he got here at you know six five, two hundred pounds out of high school, and now he's you know six five, you know maybe a little bit more, and he's over two sixty, and he's created himself into such a good player. You know, he he really he truly has. He he just he did the work every day that he would come in here, and I mean, you just go go watch him practice. I mean, the guy practices with an elite intensity level. Like elite, he does. I mean, he runs to the ball. He doesn't take a playoff. I mean, he is constantly communicating. He's his energy level is off the charts, and it doesn't matter how many reps he takes. He's it's the same way. Um, you know, the guy. You know, we've got so many kids here that that stories are like that. But Andre is one of the best. I mean, comes from a small town, little bitty school. You know, Varnado, Louisiana. He claims Bogalusa. I tell him all the time That's he right. needs to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, uh, nobody knows where Vornado is. And, I mean, that's where he came from and um, came in here. And, I mean, like I said, he just – he's been coachable, you know. and he, But he had to figure it out, you know. It wasn't easy for him just to assimilate into that and just to kind of jump in and go. And um, I don't know, man. You just, you're, you're proud to see the progress he's made. And, and, you know, Scott, I certainly expect him to have a huge year for us and, and uh, you know, continue to build off the success that he's had really the last couple of years. We're talking about being a football guy. You know, it sounds like one of those stories. Young man comes in. They like football. They like playing football, but maybe don't realize they're not a football guy yet. And then when they start embracing all of the things that come with preparing for that game under the lights, and he just seems like a guy that's really put it together, and I'm anxious to see him out on the field this year. Coach, I'm going to let you run. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time as always. Good luck with the rest of fall camp, and I look forward to catching up with you down the line. All right, Scott. Thank you, man. You got it. That is the head coach for Louisiana's Ragin' Cajuns, Michael Desimo. Notice what I asked him about, you know, some other quarterbacks. I was talking the other day about Lance Lejeune and the fact that he might need to see the field this year, even if it's not a quarterback, because your starter is going to be Fields or Woolrich. And he said, look, Zion McDonald's a true quarterback. Um, you know, Zion Chris, he's not going to burn a red shirt on him to play him at somewhere else this year anyway. Said Lejeune, it depends, right? If he wants to play some other things just to get on the field for the time being, might be something that they're open to. They haven't really discussed it yet. It's not a big focus in camp right now or anything like that. But but as he said, he is such a dynamic athlete. It's something you got to keep an eye on. From a health standpoint, guys like Casey Osai, Trey Amos, Peter LeBlanc, they're missing some time, but not serious injuries, right? Nagging injuries. 
said, knock on wood to this point, haven't had one of those serious ones in camp. And that's a good sign as well. Appreciate him coming on the show. The nags, right? The little aches. I have them, but they're not from football. They're just from being 40, chasing kids around, being a diabetic. That's me. But maybe you're listening and you're dealing with some of that constant pain, maybe in your knees or your hips or your back. And you, we all want to be moving pain-free. All right? I'm here, Scott Prather. I'm here for the team at QC Kinetics, and they're helping people here every day, giving them lasting pain relief using the latest advances in regenerative medicine. It's simple science, guys. They concentrate on your own body's healing agents, and they apply them to your aching joints, right? Repair damaged tissue, restore damaged tissue. No drugs, no steroids, no surgery. Those old remedies for pain, they're not the only remedies. You can learn more about how regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can change your life. Make this summer the last summer you suffer from chronic pain. They got clinics here. They got clinics all over America. It is the exciting new natural way to deal with joint pain. No side effects, no downtime. Call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation. It's free. What do you have to lose? Nothing except pain, right? Call QC Kinetics for a free consultation, 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222, 337-243-4222. We'll take a quick time out when we come back. The uh, Director of Athletics for Louisiana's Raging Cajuns. What's been happening in the department this week? We will chat with Dr. Brian Maggard when we come back right after this. It's the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. 25, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Louisiana! Can I please have your attention? It's time for another season of Raging Cajun football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me each and every week for the excitement of Louisiana football. It is Zion Hill that'll get credit for the sack. Right here on your home of the Cajuns, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. There's the handoff to Smith, and he's in. Touchdown, Louisiana! ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining us now before we bring on uh, Mike Dettelier in the 8 o'clock hour. But right now we have Dr. Brian Maggard, Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at UL. More commonly referred to as the AD, the Athletic Director. Good morning, Dr. Maggard. How are you today? Good morning, Scott. I'm doing excellent and ready to hit the day running. Nico Yanko, you hired him a little over five years ago, and he's, in many ways, kind of been your second-in-command. And now he is the athletic director at his alma mater of Murray State. They had a press conference yesterday. Uh, You were there. They announced it Monday. His name kind of started floating out there in late June when it opened, and then, you know, it's the summertime, and things take some time. But, um, you know, I I guess my first question is, what, what has he done to in your mind to benefit you well and what's the plan in terms of trying to trying to fill that void now that he's gone well you know to your point scott um nico 
along with people like Jessica Leger and, and a couple others, you know, did walk alongside me, have walked alongside me in my five years here, um, rely heavily on them. Nico, as everybody knows, really oversaw the external side of the house, you know, so whether that was communications, the creative team, uh, our, our relationship with uh, Learfield and Raging Cajun Sports Properties, ticketing, all those kinds of things. He also, you know, dabbled in the development and fundraising component. Um, he just really helped elevate our brand, you know, over these past five years. Now, obviously, winning helped, but Nico and his various teams did a good job of capitalizing on that athletic success and elevated the brand and helped broaden the base you know, of, uh, of our raging Cajun fans and, um, you know, he'll be, uh, he'll be greatly missed, but I could not be more happy for the guy and he and Marnie and Cheney. And as he mentioned yesterday, they've got another one coming. Uh, that family's going to have great success in my opinion in Murray, Kentucky. So uh, what's the process like? I mean, obviously when somebody leaves, we've seen you, you know, uh, do it with, with coaches, right? When someone leaves, not because they were let go, because they were, you know, hired somewhere else. Sometimes you try to keep something going. Maybe you promote from within. Maybe there's not uh, qualified. So what, what happens next? You know, next, the thing we're going to focus on from a departmental hiring standpoint is our RCAF staff. You know, when Lee DeLeon and Hans Melbrandt left, we, we held off on filling those vacancies for a variety of reasons. But we are going to focus on uh, filling our development team, the, the group of fundraisers who will help us generate revenue in that space. Want to get that done first and foremost and next. And then, uh, I guess in the woods of the late John Wooden, with regards to the deputy AD position, you know, we'll be quick, but we're not going to hurry. Um, I want to take my time on this one. You know, when somebody like Nico departs you for a good opportunity, it does give you a chance to step back. Um, you know, maybe hit pause and, and look to reset some things. You know, do we slightly restructure? Do we look for people with maybe a different skill set than what the previous person had, et cetera? But we'll focus on the RCF staff first, and then uh, we'll start to hone in on the deputy AD for external position. And as I told the staffers, you know, in the various units, we've got a good machine oiled right now. Nico did a good job in positioning a lot of people uh, who are very good at what they do in those roles. I'm, I'm really kind of filling in, you know, in that space in terms of the leadership part. But this group is on autopilot. They know what they're doing. We're ready for the fall. We're ready for the football, volleyball, and soccer seasons. And we'll, uh, we won't be in a big rush to fill the position. And as I told them, it wouldn't surprise me, Scott, if, you know, I don't identify somebody until January, you know, for that position. But at the same time, if, if something falls in our lap and it's something we don't want to miss, we, we could pull the trigger earlier. Dr. Brian Maggot, our guest, 17 days until football kicks off, but you got other sports happening as well. I know volleyball's got a scrimmage. Uh, soccer's got stuff coming up. What's happening uh, on, you know, it was Christy Gray's, I know Coach Christy Gray, very excited about the season. Um, just fired up. You got, you know, new floor. You got you got EKL looking different. That y'all, y'all fixed a lot of stuff up in there. There's some buzz and excitement here. Uh, around volleyball, and, and I know you know some fans are expected to go out there and and check out the Cajuns. That's right. You know we put in just under a million dollars in renovating EK Long, and what the fans are going to see is a renovated gymnasium. Um, and then uh, upstairs, we enhanced the what I would call the 
coach and player development areas. So very excited about uh, introducing that to the fan base tonight at 6 p.m. If people want to go out and watch the red and white scrimmage, they can. Now keep in mind, we put out on all of our social platforms that parking is going to be adjusted for volleyball this season. And the reason for that is because that lot right next to E.K. Long is no longer owned by the university. Uh, Our Lady of Wisdom Church now owns that lot. And I think in time, you're going to see construction occurring over there, and, and we're going to have a new church being built. But um, we put out maps, so really we need just fans to be attentive to that and know that when they come to volleyball tonight, if they choose to do so for the scrimmage or for matches starting on September 2, that's our first home match, uh, they'll need to be mindful of, of the parking situation. But plenty of parking available. It just won't be in that lot right next to EK Long anymore. Um, yeah, Coach Gray in year two has done a great job. I know she's excited about the talent on this team. I know we're very excited about the, uh, the renovation and the student athlete and fan experience that we'll create. The one thing missing still, we do not have the, the brand new nine foot by 15 foot video board that will be up here sooner than later. It's just not quite ready and, uh, we're waiting on the delivery and install of that. But uh, if people come out tonight, they're going to get a good look at the Cajuns and get a sneak peek at the renovated venue. New new soccer coach as well, and um, they're, they're getting underway here in the fall too. That's right. Uh, Chris McBride is starting his first season. We've had two exhibition matches, and uh, I think he feels very good about where the team is right now. But, again, it's going to take a little time. First-year coach, you know, he's going to have to get the, that program position the way he wants it positioned and uh, I think you're going to see a very competitive, hard playing uh, group of young ladies who are going to give it uh, you know all they got uh, this season but uh, they open up Thursday that's tomorrow night at 7 o'clock against Florida International University at the Home Bank Soccer and Track Complex so fans are encouraged to come out there's no charge and uh our good partners at Sodexo who run our concessions have really enhanced our concessions. So you're going to see a really good experience from the concession standpoint, a variety of food and drink will be provided. So come on out. Attendance is free at both volleyball and soccer this year. Bring the family, bring an appetite, bring a thirst, and have a good time supporting occasions. Dr. Brian Maggard has been our guest, uh, and we're going to talk with them. Uh, a little bit more at length as we get closer to Labor Day weekend when football kicks off and volleyball begins with their first official game in the uh, games in the Sawyer Camillo Memorial Classic. But uh, in the meantime, we'll let you run, Dr. Maggard. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk soon. We look forward to visiting soon, Scott, and go Cajuns, and have a great day. You got it. That is Dr. Brian Maggard. When he said the soccer players are going to be given all they got, I I almost played it, but I was like, I, I don't want to interrupt him. He just start hearing something in his ear and be like, what is Scott doing? What's happening? Am I on the air? Take note, though, in terms of the volleyball, if you want to learn more about the parking aspect of it, uh, you can go over to RageOcasions.com. Football. You got to love football. Pro football, I love it. College football, I love it. High school football, I love it. You know, it, it, the pageantry of it all, right? For college football, the tailgating. And 
for homecoming for UL this year. It's on October 1st, earlier in the season than normal. Taking on the Jaguars of South Alabama. And yes, we are once again teaming up with UL Athletics and Fizo's Seafood Steakhouse and Oyster Bar to give away the ultimate tailgate party. The tailgate party for 50. Here's what you get. Prime tailgating spot right next to Cajun Field near the band. You get the tent table chairs all set up. It's set up for you. A wait staff. All from Fizo's. And not just the tent table chairs and, and a wait staff, but they're going to, of course, cook delicious food. They're going to provide all the soft drinks, all of it, and 50 tickets to the game. It's free to play. You don't even play. You just sign up, and then you win, but possibly. I, mean, I can't guarantee that you win, but you listening right now, it could be you, but the only way it could be you is if you sign up. Tailgate for 50, the ultimate tailgate. Go to the ESPN Lafayette app, click on Ultimate Tailgate, or ESPNLafayette.com, click on Ultimate Tailgate, sign up there. When we come back, yeah, football. Love football. And I could talk football all day with our next guest, the great Mike Detillier. joins me right after this. This is the great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN 1420, KPEL, Lafayette, ESPN 103.3, K277DQ, Lafayette. A Town Square media station. The best games, the best fans, the best on the bayou. The best, the best, the best. The best, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, and as promised, joining me now, the man who needs no introduction. I'll give it to him anyway. Mike Dettelier, sports fans, you've heard him for years. College, pro, football analyst. His NFL draft report is... um, you know, it's kind of the draft Bible, as I call it every year. But he talks ball all year long, and uh, he joins us now to talk some football. Mike, I think the last time we chatted was just ahead of the draft. So how have the last five months of your life been, man? How you doing? Yeah, it's um, it's always busy for me one way or another. But I like it that way. It uh, keeps me on my toes. And so, um, yeah, all good. All doing real well. So College football, I want to start with that and then and then lead into the Saints. And, and I'll get to UL with you. I talked to Coach Desimo earlier this morning. But I want to start with LSU, Mike. What, what in your mind is the realistic, what should the realistic expectation be for the Tigers in Brian Kelly's first season there? <laughs> uh, we had on Coach Kelly, I would say this is about a month ago. And I brought up to him, you know, what, the uh, win-loss total was in Vegas, and it was the only time he sort of raised his voice. Said, "I didn't come here to win seven games," <laughs> and so you know he sort of half jokingly said, "You know that in that tone," but you could tell 
um, felt that was some disrespect toward him, toward LSU. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at it, um, eight wins in year one with, you know, you get to a bowl game and win a ninth, uh, I, I would think that would be what you're looking at. Uh, they still got talent on this team. What's surprising to me, and I guess the number is stuck in people's head, about, oh, they only had 38 or 39 scholarship players for the bowl game. Yeah, okay, that was for the bowl game. And some of that was they didn't want to use up some scholarship um, eligibility part uh, on some players. There were some academic issues on some. Uh, There were guys that had some injuries. So the number is really not 38 or 39, but it's stuck in their head. And once you got it there, for some people, you're not going to take it out uh, because Brian Kelly's not playing with 50 players or 59 players off of people he picked up. There is still some talent on this team left over. And I talked to, um, I'm not going to say the head coach of an SEC team, and he was like, hey, listen, when I took over, uh, I didn't have no Mason Smith uh, on my defensive line or an Allie Gay or Jaquelin Roy or B.J. Ojolari or Micah Baskerville or Greg Penn or Michael Jones Jr. when I took over where I am today. Uh, so, you know, you think about that, that basically that front seven for LSU across the defensive line. And I get it. Uh, now, they have some areas where it's still thin from a number standpoint. And the biggest issue at LSU on defense is what's going to happen at corner. Uh, Scott, I can't tell you when the last time I've made that comment because normally it's not there. Normally they, you know, they, they got all kind of talent at the cornerback position. But, you know, you lose two guys early to the NFL in Stingley and Cordell Flott. You had two guys make business decisions, which that's the new world of college football. Uh, Elias Ricks goes to Alabama. McLaughlin goes to Arkansas. You lose your top four corners at the, in the blink of an eye. Uh, not many teams, their fifth and sixth and seventh corners are ready to play. And so Brian spent a lot of time in the, you know, getting players out of the transfer portal. Uh, and he's been able to solidify that spot, how quickly that comes together, because that's a lot of communication. And we saw some communication issues uh, last year and the last two years, uh, secondary-wise. I think they're really good at safety. I don't think that's an issue. And uh, Brian sort of pointing that out that I feel really good about the safety position, but cornerback is still in, in a major question mark on offense. Uh, you got to find a guy that can turn the engine over on the car, you know, bottom line. And something apparently happened uh, from spring to summer where miles and there were a lot of indications Miles was going to be the guy, at least to start the season. But something happened there. And Jaden Daniels has become the front runner as of now. But I think when we talk back in the spring, you know, my thing was the one guy that I saw made the biggest improvement from 
2021 to 2022 was Garrett Nussmeyer. He was smarter with the football. His reads were quicker. Um, he's always had that, that gun. So the other indication that Miles was the guy was, uh, I know this every year, when they have Manning camp. Archie will always go to the head coach and say, hey, look, I don't want a quarterback controversy. Send me a starter. And Brian Kelly sent Miles Brennan. But Archie, thinking about it after a while, felt um, because he had some connections to Garrett Nussmeyer's dad um, and Doug Nussmeyer, um, let me invite the other kids to come in on the Saturday, because uh, Manning starts on Thursday. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let me invite the other guys to come in. He said, Mike, I had no clue who Jaden Daniels was. I saw him on TV, but he said, you know, I didn't had no connection to him. Um, he said, you know, I knew Doug Nussmar very well, but I didn't really know Garrett. Uh, he knew Jamie Howard, and he said, I, I – had an introduction with Walker, but he said, I really didn't know him, and he invited all of them there. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I watched it that Saturday morning. We we were standing on the sidelines watching him throw. And, uh, Scott, uh, it was clear-cut who, who can wing it. Uh, Jaden Daniels is a really uh, tall, lanky, Guy and he's he's a little erratic throwing the football, but he's got a good arm. Nussmar, if he threw forty passes, not a one of them looked the same. I mean, uh, some of them are sidearm, some of them are three quarter, some of them are half, some of them are way over the top. <clears throat> but he was accurate. But Walker Howard was the guy. We sort of both looked at one another because we're standing watching. And it's like whoa, uh, one day. That guy might be something special. Um, and so it was interesting to watch the three other guys who all technically looked a little different, and, but they were all impressive. And you could tell with Jaden, uh, man, he he scared a bejesus out of you. If you got to play him and then he rolls out because of his foot speed, and he can wing it now. The only thing with, with him, and I've watched enough of him at Arizona State, is that when he is off, he's high off. Those balls sort of sail on him. So what happens? Receiver goes up to try to catch it or he tips it. Mm-mm. You could have a turnover. Uh, with Nussmeyer, his ball placement skills have gotten much, much better. But the arm talent, and man, getting a ball from A to D, it was Walker Howard. He was he was really really impressive uh, that Saturday morning, and he was throwing the guys he had never thrown to. That that the thing, Scott. That oh, when I see it, Manning, these quarterbacks and how accurate they are throwing to receivers they've never thrown before. To that, that you know because you try to get that timing down, you can't get a timing down. Okay, if you from I saw it with Will Levis from Kentucky, who I think is a really good player. Um, he was throwing two receivers from Southeastern, Southern, Nickel State, LSU, and Tulane. He had never been on the field with any of those guys. And you can say, well, a route's a route. <laughs> yeah, but it depends on who's running them. Okay? That, that's a difference. And so 
you got to get that quarterback situation straightened out. I think because of Daniels' movement skills and because of some uncertainty along the offensive line, that may have been the tipping point. No matter what Brian wants to say about, you know, I feel pretty good about my offensive line, a unit's never played as one before because it's five people working as one. And he's talked about working different units. So now you got two units trying to work as, say, one. And that, that's a cool. It's not that wide receiver. They got talent there. It's the thickest and the most talented position on the team is that wide receiver. Uh, Mason Taylor has, I think, shown up and shown up big in the practices. And it was funny because Coach O told me this last year. Hey, he said, yeah, you got to keep your eye on Mason Taylor. And certainly he's got some genetics. You know, um, his dad, Jason Taylor, was, you know, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um, we see his, his Aunt Joy um, every day on Colin. And uh, she was a really good athlete, too. So there's some genetics in the family. But it's, it's a big year for John Emery, uh, for all of us who watched him down here at Destrahan and how good of a player he was. Uh, now, Brian has always been running back by committee. He, he, he likes that part. So how many touches Noah, Noah Kane gets? Uh, and he came in a little bit late. He wasn't a spring guy. So it's interesting on offense how that will all emerge. And what you see in the first game is maybe not what you're going to see in game three. But they're all in Louisiana. And so that helps Brian Well, if you can get off to a fast start. Um, and that Florida State game is big. And he's certainly familiar with Florida State having played them the last couple of years at Notre Dame. Mike, to tell you our guest, so is it fair to say, Mike, that the, the biggest – question mark from a positional standpoint is the same now as it was a year ago and that's the offensive yep. line offensive line and quarterback and you know the quarterback situation got handled sort of on its own uh because you know miles um at a fishing camp in grand isle you know gets injured and, and breaks his arm and it you know it's it's put in max's hands uh but I feel better about the offensive line this year than I did a year ago. I think you have more talent and more depth. They were, they were able to go out and get a couple of um, transfers that I think can help. Will Campbell, I mean, he don't look like no 18-year-old freshman to me. Um, I've seen him play. And I got a chance to talk to him. You know, he doesn't act like an 18-year-old either. I mean, he, he understands a lot of eyes on him. And uh, the development of Garrett Dellinger. And it was funny, the first time we had on um, Coach Kelly, and I asked him about Garrett, and he said, well, you know, he's coming off the shoulder injury, but we have a lot of hopes for him, and we think he can be a starter, but I'm looking at maybe putting him at center. Now, he had played guard and tackle a year ago. But he had not played center. Well, he basically tipped me off to what exactly what he was thinking of because where does he line up in the fall drills? Center. But he was actually telling me without telling me uh, that that's what he was going to do with Dellinger, uh, who's a really good prospect. Um, now, that's a difficult position 
to come in to master. Oh, yeah. Uh, because you're making all the line calls. Uh, you're making them up front. You're making sure everything is set. And also you picking up what today you see so much of, and that's interior blitzes. It's not so much coming off the edge. It's coming right up the middle because that's the quickest way to get to the quarterback is is that gap, that right, A gap right up the middle. And so you got to pick that up. And so you haven't done it before. It'd be interesting to see Garrett, how well he handles that in the game. But uh, I've been told he looks pretty good as far as uh, handling that center position. And um, Anthony Bradford's the intrigue guy for me because I know from talking to Coach O back then, he had always told me that Bradford was the most talented offensive lineman he had. But he said, Mike, he's got weight uh, conditioning issues. He's got to lose some weight. He's got to get his weight down. And he's got to be a little bit more focused player. And he's lost 30, 35 pounds, which on a 370-pound man um, is not a ton of weight, but it's, a, it's still 35 pounds is a lot of weight on anyone. And he looks to be a different player today. And the focus is there. And I think that's the one thing with Brian. You know, he's going to get your attention real quick. That's a new sheriff in town. And bottom line is going to be, you're going to do it my way or you can go somewhere else. And he's had that conversation. And I think a couple of them have went somewhere else because of it. He's not going to put up with it. Uh, He understands the pressures to win. More than any other coach you could hire. If you've ever been to South Bend, Indiana, and you walk through those halls and see those national championships and understand what pressure is about and the alumni and the people who's cutting you checks every year, he understands SEC press more than anybody because uh, you got it when you enter the, uh, that place. Uh, it's, it's not easy. And, and they don't want you to win eight games or nine games. You know, they're talking about they want you to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. And he was in that Final Four a couple times, didn't win it. Uh, but he, he understands it. That, but just that comment, Scott, it was very quick about, I didn't come here to win seven games. That, it, 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 yes. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm trying to look at past history with LSU and, you know, similar situations. And they're really, this one isn't super similar, but the most recent year that I could think of that's kind of reminiscent is Nick Saban's first year because it was the last time they were coming off a losing season, albeit, you know, I think they were three and eight, not six and seven. Uh, and it was, it was Saban's first year, and it was the last time they weren't even ranked entering the preseason. They won eight games that year. They ended up yeah. finishing in the top 25. And I think, for me anyway, I feel like that's kind of, uh, and they even lost UAB that year, but they, they you know, they, they finished strong with, with the, you know, the exception of that game at Arkansas where Josh Booty struggled. But, like, you saw that team improve as the season went on. And, uh, and they had a lot of talent, right? Guys like LeBrandon Tofield and Josh Reed and Robert Royal, and, and I could go on. I'm looking at this year. All right, you're coming in. You're unranked for the first time since then. You got a new head coach like you did then. You're coming off a losing season for the first time since then. And I thought uh, the the growth on the team that year in Saban's first season and winning eight games and finishing ranked, 
I thought that was a really good season. All things considered, there were hiccups, sure. I feel like if if Coach Kelly does something similar, that's a good start for him. And and Mike, you you probably know this better than I do because you're always interacting with football fans. When I tell LSU fans that, they're telling me, no, 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 that's that's not good. That's not good enough. I'm like, well, you know, what what are you expecting here? But that just comes with being the head coach at LSU. And I think he gets yeah. that based on that comment he told you. Yeah, it, it, and you spalled rotten, too. <laughs> okay. No question. Because you're used to play, being double-digit. Uh, you know, you got that national champ, which is still in the back of a lot of people's mind in, in 2019. And that may have been the greatest college football season ever when you consider everything involved and who you had to beat to get to that. Uh, but uh, it's it's not going to be one of these flip the switch and you go from six wins to 11 wins. But I agree with you to go from six wins to nine wins, which you could do, you know, with a bowl win. Uh, that, that to me would be a, a big win for Brian Kelly. And he's already certainly making some headway in the recruiting part. And I knew that would take a little while to get started only because the connections he didn't have here other than Frank Wilson uh, and Cortez Hankton, who do have connections here. And, you know, you're bringing in a new staff. He's a new head coach. And I knew early on most of those commitments would be out-of-state kids because that's the connections you have. It's not necessarily in the state of Louisiana, you know, so I do an interview with Jacques Doucet about it, and I said, you know, I, I knew it would be a little bit of a slow start, but I think once he got his feet right, it would be okay. Man, I got him. Oh, man, LSU don't know how to use no name, image, likeness. They need one of them things in there. That's their problem. Okay, everybody got name, image, likeness. But you got to understand recruiting is about connect the dots uh, with coaches, with parents, guardians, you name it. Uh, trainers, you you got to connect the dots, and that's going to take a little while. Then all of a sudden, July hits, and what we've seen since, and you've seen LSU make that run uh, at, at, on players. And so it took a little while, and that's not a surprise. But I think, you know, we live in a world where I want it now. I, I want 25 commitments today. Okay, you're not going to get that. Um, and you see the momentum building for him, and he sort of had to introduce himself to a new group of young men also. People in the state of Louisiana knew Ed Ogeron. He was from here, uh, and there's not a high school kid that didn't watch that 2019 season, okay, uh, and saw what happened then, and Ed was a part of that. And so many people from this area with connections, if it was Mickey Joseph, if it was Kevin Falk, if it was Greg McMahon, uh, you can kind of go down the road, you know, with, with a number of them, that they had connections to this state and high school kids in this state. Corey Raymond, uh, also another one, major uh, recruiter there. And so it was going to take a little while for all that to come together. And but it didn't take long 
But people were impatient. Uh, it, it's because the name, image, likeness. No, okay, name, image, likeness has certainly stuff that plays a part in it today. No question. But it's also having some familiarity with the players that you're trying to go after. Brian was recruiting a different players or player set at Notre Dame than he is at LSU. And it just took a little while for, for all that to settle in. And um, <clears throat> I think he's uh, more familiar with the area, with the coaches, how it's done. They're, they're familiar with him now, just like Coach O was different than Les Miles and Les was different from Nick. You know, Brian's different from O and Les and Nick. Now, he's more like Nick in a lot of ways. Then he is Miles and, and Coach O. But, again, I think for the what had to happen, I think he was the right choice because he understands what it is to play and to have to win under pressure. And like I said, uh, you know, if you're a certain age – you look at Notre Dame differently than if you're a younger person. Back, you know, because I grew up late '60s, '70s. Man, you talk about pressure. Notre Dame had pressure. Uh, you you weren't just playing for eight or nine wins. You were playing for. You had to play for a national championship, and um, that's changed a little bit. And they were still certainly a contender, but Brian understands it's all about winning. Because if you don't win here. You ain't staying here. Doesn't matter what you got on your resume. <clears throat> and I think you can come become complacent. And I think to a certain extent, uh, I think that went through the program a little bit. And it's I see this in other professions a lot. People get a little bit of success. And it changes their attitude. It changes their work habits. Instead of getting up at 5.30 in the morning to go work out, man, I'm going to just sleep in a little bit. Uh, maybe not hit the weights as hard. Maybe not do as much running. Your mindset, uh, you know, hey, listen, we got it. Won the championship already. We won this. We got, we got this. Long after you and I have shed this mortal coil that we in, they're going to be writing books about Nick Saban. And i never forget this was maybe five years ago. Um, at the Louisiana Lion Camp, Pete Jenkins and I, we we come for dinner time and we go eat at a little restaurant on the bayou, and we pass in front of a church with and they have you know the big cemetery along the side, and I saw Coach take a peek and he took a second peek and he said, Mike, look in that cemetery, you got a lot of bodies of dead coaches trying to catch Nick Saban. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and I got what he was trying to say. Oh, yeah. Man, he's buried a lot of them because, you know, his standards are different. He's a once-in-a-lifetime coach. You and I will never see a coach win with that type consistency year in, year out. We're not going to live long enough for it. And for people who are listening, they're not living long enough either. The the college football world is changing forever, and you're not going to see that anymore. But what he was able to do was also he put a, a tremendous pressure on the other SEC coaches to try to keep up. 
And good luck with that, buddy. Uh, uh, he's, he's at a different level. And uh, we've never seen a college coach dominate the college football world like what he did for that long a period of time with consistency and being able to have his teams either playing for SEC titles or the national championship. And they, uh, Ryan Fowler told me this uh, yesterday, uh, we had him on, that they have the second place trophy in where the, the lunchroom, where the players eat. And there's a little sign under the second place trophy. And you got to see it when you get in there. You got to take a look at it. Is this what we play for every year? With a question mark. You don't think Nick is already sort of, you know, he's sort of poking the bear a little bit. That, hey, uh, we're not here to be a second place team. We're here to win it all. And that's his motivation to stick that second place trophy <laughs> in that um, in that lunchroom. Mike, that I, everybody uh, every day sees it. Mike, to tell you, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. I kind of, I'll say I was, I'm kind of joking when I say it, but people were asking back when the coaches poll came out last week, who in the hell gave Texas a number one overall vote? Like that's uh, ridiculous. And I said. Maybe Nick Saban because, you know, he wants a number next to the name so his team doesn't overlook him week <laughs> two. Like, it seems like something he would do and yeah, not even sure care does. about, you know. Uh, Mike, to tell you sure our guest. All right, Mike, I want to um, ask you about uh, your thoughts on Louisiana Rage Cajuns. You know, I was talking to Coach Desimo last hour, and they got the longest win streak in, in you know, D1, FCS football, FBS football, rather, 13 straight games. They're not preseason ranked. They've, they're going to have a new quarterback. Obviously, they got a new coach. But I look up and down their schedule, and I'm on paper right now, it's always subject to change. They might be a betting underdog in, in two games this year. It's, it's, not, it's one of the more you know, lighter schedules in terms of strength of schedule that they've had in quite some time. And these schedules are made years out. You know, it just, it's kind of how, how it falls. But that's... In my opinion, that's not a bad thing for the team this year in, in what they have going. What is your – talk about expectations for LSU. What, what do you think the proper expectation is for, for UL this season? Well, Billy raised the bar, didn't he? Just a little. So, <laughs> yeah, so Mike is following in some big moccasins here. <clears throat> and I'm always a little bit leery, you know, at quarterback. And you lose your top offensive lineman, too. Uh, because those guys are gold, just absolute gold. And I, I'll give Billy a lot of credit, and he's been able to find, I guess, these two-star guys, and, and you know, and they turn into guys that play at the pro level up front. And I, I think that's as much as we talk about running backs and receivers, defensive backs, I, this game is still about winning up front, offensive-defensive line. And having a guy that can turn the engine over on the car. So uh, I would like to see how that offensive line works out. And certainly at, at the quarterback position is, is also critical. Uh, because Levi made plays were really good. And it's always been running back by committee. And, and that's still a part of it. But you got to win up front. It, that's, to me, the question mark. 
can you be that physical team that you've been in the past? Because offensive line play is difficult uh, to have it all gel together. And while you do have some pieces coming back, again, it's to make it work. That, that's the big question mark for me. I, not so much on the defensive side. Uh, I think it's going to be more on the offensive side. Um, can you have a playmaker at quarterback? Can he make plays at critical times? I, you certainly have the running backs to fill that void. Um, and they've got some good ones. They've got some real good ones at running back. Uh, but offensive line play, I think, is going to be the deal. And it's, it's mindset. And that's why it's critical for Mike to get off and, and you all to get off to a quick start. To, to bring, hey, look, okay, Billy did a great job. And man, we appreciate everything he's done and his coaching staff and everything. But you know what? Hey, it's our team now. And we're going to show you that it's going to be, the transition's going to be smooth. Because it does become mindset with some players. That, man, was was Billy the mastermind of all this? Are we really that good if you start to lose games early? No matter how mentally tough you are, that does set in. So I think it's critical to get off to a quick start. And you're right, I think the schedule is favorable for that to happen to get off to a quick start. And they have some positions there where it really looks good. And I like what they have on the defensive side, the football. And they've always been aggressive. They flow quickly to the football. Um, always been known as a, as a real aggressive team. And I think you'll see that again. Question mark, offensive line play, quarterback. I think so aren't we sort of looking at the same mirror that LSU is? Yeah, in in a lot of ways. And to your point about the O-line, it's it's been for me, coach, uh, excuse me, coach, Mike, the thing that I've that I've told, you know, the listeners and fans of the team since the spring, like this, it, yep. we we it's it's a question mark. Doesn't mean that the answer is going to be bad, doesn't mean it's going to be good. We'll find out. Since I moved back here, uh, and started working at this radio station in 2005, so 17 years, the the offensive line at UL has been the most consistent and best unit year in, year out. Some years maybe it's number two, but it's it's always been one of the best. They have had all-conference players on it consistently year after year. Even back when, you know, when, when, when Michael was playing as the all-Sunbelt Conference quarterback for the Cajuns. Yep. And if if that continues... If that trend continues, then the team's going to have a really good season. And if they have some – and it's just you had some injuries. You didn't get to see as many guys in the spring. You had guys that obviously, you know, one transferred to, to, you know, to Florida, another, oh, you know, he's in the pros now with the Jets. Looks like he's an even possible candidate to start in year one. Um, that's, that's what you have to replace. But you bring back Carlos Rubio, who was hurt last year. He's got starting experience. A.J. Gilley is the strongest player on the team. Uh, David Hudson has some starters. These guys that we haven't gotten to see a lot of yet. And every time I ask the quarterbacks or ask coach, they say that they're looking great and they have full confidence in them. But when the season starts, when they kick off in 17 days, Mike, I'm looking at the O-line. I know I know everyone's following the ball. I'm watching the O-line from start to finish. That's what I'm most curious about because I think yeah. – Ultimately, it will dictate a lot about how this season goes for the Cajuns. Uh, you and I are on the same page with that. And it's not about individual talent. It's about five working as one. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
that's why for whatever reason <clears throat> I don't play on long offensive line, but I get man, I get all this tape for offensive linemen, and uh, you know, so uh, it is what it is. But it is having that five unit, five player unit work as one, because you can do your job, but if the guy next to you doesn't, the play screwed up. Okay, uh, and that was something we sort of took for granted. It, it almost looked like a machine the last couple years for the Raging Cajuns up front, that no matter who you had at running back, didn't the plays and the way it was run all look the same? That has nothing to do with the running backs. That has everything to do with what you got up front. And it was machine-like. Can they get that unit to play at a top level? And, it again, it's not so much about individual play, and you have to take care of your own business, but it's five working as one. It's like a dance unit, okay? If you go see a dance unit and one individual out of the first five you see is out of step, (laughs) it doesn't look right, does it? And that's what it is on offensive line play. Uh, It's the same thing. We had Doug Marone. Uh, talk to us about offensive line play, and, and he was saying that that sort of happened last year at Alabama with him, that, um, you know, what they were doing there, he said, you know, most for most of the time you watch the film, you know, you had four guys all do the right thing, one guy mess up. He, he blew an assignment. Or, you know, he said, then we shove a tight end to help, and the tight end, you know, he doesn't take the right angle for a block, and he gets beat. And the center doesn't pick up a, a delayed blitz, which you've seen so much today. And that's why not only should you watch the offensive line play, watch what's going to happen at center for the Raging Cajuns. Because more and more, when you when I do all these camps and you hear coaches talk, they talk about attacking the center guard positions more than any other. Because he said, man, you got some really good big man athletes out at tackle. So you got to make the round to get to the quarterback. Now what they try to do is delay the blitz a little bit with a linebacker or a safety. And everybody's set and they're looking around and the, man, the guy comes flying in. And it, it, you might have a quarterback that can move, but one thing you do, you got him off his launch pad. Now all of a sudden he's running. Uh, and he's not as accurate on, on that move. And so that's why I, I think what we've seen the last couple of years with the Raging Cajuns have been so impressive, have been what they've had in the interior when teams try to jam another guy in there to try to stop the run or get a little bit of pressure on Levi, and they jammed it. Wow, it was over. You know, game, set, match. They got it done. But, you know, the running plays all look similar and all look the same. And you're like, wow, that that's so impressive. Because you understand, if you understand football, how difficult that is to happen with all the schemes and all the looks that you're going to see. At, even at the collegiate level, and I'm not talking about the pro level, I'm talking about the collegiate level, they throw in a lot of different looks at that offensive line and at the center and at the quarterback. And one of those two guys got to make the call. Okay, he's got to make the adjustment, one of the two. And sometimes both of them have to. 
And so I agree with you, Scott, wholeheartedly. I, I do think it's it's a big – I don't know if you want to call it a question mark, but it is the mystery question uh, for the Raging Cajuns this year because they have enough defensively. I, I'm not too concerned about that. I, I think they'll be fine on defense. The running back core has always been good, and they they got some guys there that, that can carry the rock. And um, the consistency throwing the football – and I thought that was something Levi brought to the table. He made big plays when he had to, with his feet and with his arm, and being able to run the football when you need to and have to. That That's the the mystery questions for the Raging Cajuns, but I agree with you also. The schedule is favorable. Now, no coach wants to hear that, but it does help. Come on. Uh, you know, in the back of your mind, you know who who's really good and who isn't. You You know that. And so um, I think a quick start would certainly help Mike and, and what he's been able to piece together uh, for the Raging Cajuns. All right. We got uh, about 10 more minutes or so with you, Mike. I want to get into the Saints. Uh, if you don't mind hanging out, we'll hit on a quick break. You good for one more short segment? Yeah, I'm good. All right. We'll talk some Saints when we come back. Right after this, it's the great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Are you sick and tired of that constant pain in your knees or your hips or your back, especially this time of year? You need to be moving pain-free, right? Hey, guys, it's Scott Prather for the team at QC Kinetics. QC Kinetics is helping people right here every day, giving them lasting pain relief using the latest advances in regenerative medicine. It's simple, right? The science is not complicated. They concentrate your own body's healing agents and they apply them to your aching joints, restoring and repairing damaged tissue with no drugs, no steroids, and no surgery. Listen, guys, the old remedies for pain are not the only remedies. You need to learn more about how regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can change your life. Make this summer the last summer you suffer from chronic pain. They have clinics right here and all over America. This this is the exciting new natural way to deal with joint pain with no side effects and no downtime. Call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation. 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. 337-243-4222. Coulda, shoulda, and woulda. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Are you serious? They all play here. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. I'm down. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. One more segment with the great Mike Dettelier. We've got him for about another 10 minutes, and then we'll let him get back to... Man, Mike, I, I, what what is a normal... You don't have to expand on this for too long, but uh, in, in mid-August, what does a normal day look like for Mike Dettelier? I'll get up uh, probably around 4.30, watch film for about an hour and a half on players, um, quick breakfast, um go to Saints camp, watch practice, um, do the interviews and everything i got to do uh, for the Big L, and um, then help set up some guests for the afternoon show. Uh, when I get back, uh, supper time, I don't like to eat at the house, uh, I'll be honest. And it's, it's, it's seldom. Uh, so always go. we always go out and eat. And uh, when I get back, it's, um, you know, answering emails, texts, everything else. I try to do it as quickly as I can because, uh, man, I hate to be put off if somebody texts me something. So 
um, you know, I give them a yes or a no real quick. And then it's basically spent a little time with the grandkiddies and, uh, you know, you just, you're balancing it in August. It's probably as tough a month for me as any. <clears throat> not, it's not so much during the season. That's pretty regimented. Uh, but August is, is a lot of different because now, you know, if I wanted to, I could probably do 10 to 12 radio shows, TV a day. Uh, you, you get requests from that many. Uh, but um, August is probably the worst or the hardest month for me uh, to, to handle just because of so many things happening and you trying to take care of different things leading up into the season and getting your schedule uh, right. And I do 10 pregame shows each week during the uh, college football season and involved with Saints and Titans. So that makes it 12 a week. Mike, with the Saints, I've asked you expectation questions for UL, for LSU. I've I've pointed out many times that the local expectation, by local I mean the, the people that cover the team, those of us here in South Louisiana, appear to be higher than those on the outside. You can look at, yep. whether you want to read what a national writer writes, but I like to just look at the betting lines, and it, it can tell you a lot about how folks are feeling and the fact that you know, over-unders for win total or Super Bowl odds are greater now than they were a year ago. And last summer tells you that a lot of people don't think they'll be as good. And I, I get there is an, an impact of Sean Payton leaving. I get it. I get it. But from a roster standpoint, nobody can sit here and tell me that this roster isn't better than the one that they had a year ago heading into the season. I mean, I, I, sell me something else because I'm not buying it. This roster is better than they were a year ago. They're dramatically approved at receiver. And I think the expectation level for most folks around here, Mike, is 10-11 wins, playoffs, depending on what Tampa does. Maybe you're competing for the division. And I think nationally it's, it's a bit lower than that. What is, in your mind, the true expectation for this team this year? Yeah, every national show I've done, you know, that their deal is, you know, this team would be lucky to have a winning season. And my thing is, you haven't seen this defense play. And where were you a year ago? They gave up the least amount of points in the NFC. Um, 3.7 yards a rush. They played the first six games without their best defensive tackle in David Onyemata. Uh Peyton Turner, a first-round pick, played a grand total of five games. Uh, Marcus Davenport was terrific when he played, but he missed six full games. During the season, you played it with a rookie corner in Paulson Adebo. Um, and that's just on defense. <clears throat> the other part about it is you didn't have your all pro punter, a uh, kicker, excuse me. You had to change that punter, and Gillikin was terrific uh, and as a punter. But not having Will Lutz, um, Sean had talked to me about it after the season uh, that, you know, how much, you know, you. You didn't expect that to happen. You knew he was—he had some issues groin-wise, but he didn't think he'd miss the whole season. And then, you know, you missed that, and early on it was a revolving door, and Sean got no patience with kickers. He's just like Parcells for that. And, yeah, you got one a little bit later, and Mayer did a pretty solid job, but, man, early on it really cost you probably a couple games. Having Will Lutz back and then not having Michael Thomas on offense – and he looks today, Scott, like the 2019 version. You know, you watch him in practice. 
I mean, he looks unbelievable out there. He really does look like that 2019 version. And then to have Jarvis Landry, I've known Jarvis since he was a freshman at Lutcher High School. That's when my cousin Tim uh, was the head coach at Lutcher, and he told me about it. Mike, I think he might be the best football player I've ever coached. I said, okay, what eligibility is? He said he's a freshman. I'm like, okay, and and man, he was he was every bit as advertised uh, at Lutcher, at LSU, and certainly in the NFL. And then Chris Olave brings you that big play element. The big question mark for me with the Saints is offensive line play. It was a year ago. It is today. Uh, you can talk about Jameis and how consistent he can be, but last year he he wasn't working with a full uh, basket full of groceries. Uh, when you, you know, you look at Marquez Callaway and, and Deontay Hardy today, you know, they're going to be the fourth and fifth options on this team. So it's offensive line play for me. And again, it's similar to what we talked about with, with UL and at LSU. You've spent a lot of time and capital uh, on offensive line. Ryan Ramchak's one of the best in the business. He got hurt last year. He takes like one rep <laughs> in practice because I watch it. I go to the corner and I watch him work. <laughs> Ryan gets his rep in. Okay, I got my quarter for the day. Okay, uh, practice is for the unskilled. He's skilled. He, I, I know what Ryan Ramchak can do. It's all about Landon Young <laughs> and Lewis Kidd, who's a surprise for me. He's really practiced well. I think, and that ends up being a pretty good player for this team. And, you know, the only guy that started all 17 games last year was Cesar Ruiz, all 17. And he's probably your worst offensive lineman. No doubt. And the other four starters, they missed 32 starts. So can you keep Andrews Pete healthy? Uh, You know, Eric McCoy is a good player, but I think he was overcompensating for some of the bad guard play. And then at the tackle position, you start in the game today, it's James Hurst. I mean, that's no question. I've said that from the opening day of practice, and I'll say it today. It's Hurst. <clears throat> Trevor Penning's got a lot of talent, and he's got a lot of want to. And I think one day he's going to end up being a really good left tackle in this league. And he's a physical, aggressive run blocker, and he excels in that part of the game. But you see some of the elements of having to learn a little bit different pass protection techniques at the pro level. And sometimes, I guess, the best way to explain it is he plays too fast. He's got to calm down in that he's not real good sometimes with that hand punch and then adjust to it to cut off that defender's outside or inside edge. And he gets his feet sort of tangled, and then he gets beat. And we saw it Saturday night, four different four different times it happens to him. The rest of the time, he, he was okay. He played under control, but there are times that it's too fast for him. And so he's thinking, he's just not reacting. And that's just going to take a little bit of time uh, with him. Hurst is a vet, been there, done that. How well that unit can play up front. And this was last April. Um, Ocheron had called me and said, listen, I want you to do something for me. Uh, look at the injuries in college and pro football and what positions get injured the most. He said, can you do it? I said, yeah, uh, yeah, I think I can piece that together. Tackles, 
and I had to lump guard and center together, but tackles, guard, center, running back, those positions get injured the most. Most starts, and you get it, okay? It's a high collision area along that offensive line, and you're going to miss people for periods of time. So you better have a good second unit. You better have a good backup tackle. You better have a good backup guard. You better have a good backup center. If you don't believe it made a difference, look at that Saints offensive line a year ago. Uh, they, would they average 3.7 yards a carry? I think it was 28th in the NFL. They only got 32 teams. They couldn't run the ball. They, that has to get better. And you got to be able to give Jameis some time to throw the football. To me, that's the biggest question mark for this team. Best secondary I've ever seen with the Saints. No doubt. Uh, I was a kid, and I saw the early additions, so that wasn't too good. But, (laughs) you know, I've covered them for over 30 years. They had never had a secondary this good, this deep. That depth has never been there. In the past, it always felt like you have one, maybe you have two, but if this guy goes down, you're in big trouble, and it's it's just – (laughs) I. In the last six years, no positional unit on the Saints has taken a bigger leap than the secondary. No question about it. And defensive line play, you got them. They all look sort of the same at defensive end. Cam's the, the run of the litter, so to speak. He sort of joked about that with us. Man, I'm the small guy in the bunch. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, the Peyton Turners and, you know, Passano and, like, Grandison, you know, Grandison, he's 6'5". But he's got an 84 inch wingspan. It's like a big condor coming at you. <clears throat> and they got some talent up front uh, along that defensive line. Uh, they're, they're paper thin right now because of some injuries uh, at linebacker. But I'm going to tell you something. Demario Davis, man, you know, he, he's just unbelievably awesome player and a great leader. But the one guy that surprised me, and he came in sort of late. And every practice you watch him, he makes plays, and he made plays Saturday. Chase Hansen. Now he got to stay healthy because man, his list of injuries is about as thick as War and Peace, the book, the Russian version. Not not the one we can read, the Russian version of it. I mean, he has got a long list of injuries, but man, he is he a playmaker uh, at linebacker. Um. You're deeper now than you've ever been in the Sean Payton time frame at wide receiver when you think about you got a Pro Bowl guy in Michael Thomas, you got a Pro Bowler in Jarvis Landry. Olave brings you that big play element. I think Callaway is is talented and and he's seemingly getting better. And Deontay, he's a hit play. You know, he's the guy that can really run after catch. Then you got the two young kids pressing for time. You know, Dejon Dixon, who I saw all those years at Nichols. He was a tremendous player there. Very confident young man. And Kirk Merritt, another guy, played right up the road from me at Destrahan. And he's been impressive in camp. Um, And Taysom Hill is the X factor. Uh, And I think for whatever reasons, and I get it. Listen, I don't want to show nobody too much about anything with Taysom. They're sort of keeping that in their hip pocket. Taysom's going to be a real weapon here. If he can, now he had a rib injury early on, but you can see he's skilled, Scott. Man, can he catch the ball? Um, and that running back, certainly Camaro, he's he's in a league of his own. There's not too many guys uh, that's as good as Alvin in this league as a runner and receiver. And 
from all indications, and we've heard this from a number of legal analysts we've had on, um, as far back as May, virtually everyone said they don't think Kamara would get a suspension until 2023 because of the way the court system is, and it's being pushed back. Now, September 29th, they're supposed to have a hearing to maybe set a court date. Okay, what if they set the court date for January? <laughs> Safest bet in the world, Mike, is um, in 2023, Alvin Kamara, before the season, will um, convert his regular season salary into a signing bonus and play for <laughs> a game minimum uh, all season. That's 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 how those things go, man. But, but, but I think that they're a 10-win team. It's a difficult schedule in November. They could squeeze another game out. But they are going to be a major contender in the NFC South for the title. And, um, you know, we've had a couple of different people tell us, listen, eventually brady got to get old, okay? Now, he's fought this for a long time, and he's beaten it. But, man, no one has ever beaten Father Time in any sport. No one. But he has been the biggest contender I've ever seen for it uh, at his age. And now with all those injuries and having some defections and retirement along the interior offensive line, Brady don't like that. Man, I don't want that pressure up the middle. He don't. He never did like people around his feet to begin with. Uh, he, he's very protective of his lower body. Uh, but just because he's not a movement guy, he's got to get to that launch pad. And that's what's frustrated him when he's played the Saints. The Saints have given him a lot of pressure right up the middle. He don't like that uh, at all. And so we'll see what happens. But I think this is a 10-win team. And they're a playoff team. And once the playoffs happen, you know, you got to have a little bit of a luck and a little bit of good play and a little bit of good health. Uh, to move you along, but uh, you look at the Packers, the obvious weaknesses at wide receiver, we're seeing it in practice, okay? Um, Brady, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is frustrated because he doesn't have Devontae Adams to go to anymore. You look at the Rams, who knows what happens there, but I never like to hear my quarterback's got elbow issues in August, okay? (laughs) That's not good. Uh, when you start to have that. And, you know, Tampa, is up front along the offensive line, there's some major issues it's there. Issues. I think they're a really good team. And, and can Brady play at the level he played a year ago, which is unbelievable for 44 years old? It's unbelievable for 24, much less 44. The NFC is open, Mike. It really is. Yes. The, the NFC is open. Mike Dettelier has been our guest. We're, uh, we're running overtime, and I have no issues with that when we have on Mike as a guest. Mike, I could talk football with you all day, man. We're going to let you run. Everybody, follow him on Twitter at Mike Dettelier. Listen to him on WWL. Check out, uh, obviously, you know, every year I tell people, get that, that M&D NFL draft report. But uh, you know, Mike, you've heard him for years. Appreciate you coming on, Mike. Um, enjoy the season. Continue success. And I know we'll be talking to you down the line, my friend. Thank you, brother. Always great to be on with you, Scott. That is Mike Dettelier, the great Mike.